Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing? Well, we'll take those two points today, I think, won't we? Yeah, what was the shot total? Uh, it was 51-22 in regulation for Pittsburgh and 6-1 in overtime for Edmonton. But how the game ever got to overtime is uh, a little bit of a gift from the hockey gods. The Oilers won that game, Bruce, with depth scoring, goaltending, and PK, exceptional PK work. So yes. it's the most unlikely Oiler win of the last, uh, what, two point of the last <laughs> five years. I don't know. Since since 2016-17. They just never win. They never win games with those three things going. But and and also, frankly, other than Dry Settles winning goal, with the Oilers top line stinking it out. They were just they were horrible. They, and they, that's that's the wild card here. They never win without uh, uh, big contribution from their top line and of course the argument can be made they got that contribution at the very very end of the day uh, well, with a great was, a great solo was, effort and nice. deposit by dry saddle in overtime but that was uh, among the few things that the that the dynamic duo as some call them did really in the entire game that was a a weird game in a lot of ways McDavid wasn't even on the ice. That was the that was the league's current most valuable player, Leon Draisaitl, doing it on his own. There, Bruce, man, he he uh, he he just pulled up the ice. Yeah, McDavid and Draisaitl, their timing was off. Everything was off. They just couldn't get it together today. Even on they had like some two on one opportunities, they couldn't even get it together. So, Bruce, this is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. What is your good thing? My good thing is. Uh, um uh, the foot soldiers, and specifically the job they did on the penalty kill, which uh, the Oilers were shorthanded five times in this game, <clears throat> including a whole, as soon as they got the lead, uh, one nothing midway in the second, courtesy of a great goal by a very unexpected source, Colby Cave. Uh, talk about foot soldiers scoring off a terrific outlet pass by Matt Benning, I might add, who's an, you know another bottom-of-the-roster player. Uh and then after that, they started a steady parade of the of the uh, to the penalty box for ticky tack. I think there was, well, I mean, the puck over glass. You can't argue with that one. And then there was three in a row that were, yeah, kind of. I guess maybe marginally fouls. And then they did call a couple on Pittsburgh, of course. But in the meantime, the Oilers had to kill off all these penalties against the powerhouse power play. You know, Malkin, Crosby, Latang, Schultz. You know, that, that's a pretty potent crew. And and the Pittsburgh power play isn't a slump, but the Oilers, usually they break slumps for other teams, you know. Yeah. And today they, they, they actually, uh, uh, today they actually uh, did the job. And I thought uh, guys like uh, Marcus Granlund and uh, Patrick Russell, Chris Russell, uh, Darnell Nurse, uh, Oscar Kleppbaum, not, not a, not a uh, depth player, of course, so. Uh, those last two, uh, and uh, uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. I thought they did just excellent work on the PK, and that was a big part of the reason the Oilers were able to hang around in this game. Yeah, that was, you know, the, the Oilers were lucky, I think, that Malkin wasn't sharp mm-hmm. because he had a number of chances to score where he just wasn't sharp. He missed the net oh, or well. He couldn't get off a good shot, or Smith did make some saves, but uh, Malkin didn't look like he was quite at the top of his game. So that was that was a good thing for the Oilers because, um, well, 
all those shots were, so I just kept expecting one of them was going to deflect in, so, you know, because that's usually what happens, right? You get so many shots, and one of them just bounces in that way. And then you get uh, you get all these penalty kills, and then the stupid power play lets you down by giving up a wide-open three-on-two. I was just beside myself when they scored to tie it up after all those good PKs to just give gift them one like that. It's almost was, just though, with the, well, the, way, the flow of the game. Like you couldn't. Pittsburgh certainly <laughs> earned the one point. I'll say that, and uh, it sure did. And that's half credit probably for what they really deserved, but. So, Whatever they've they've uh, they've fleeced Edmonton in overtime the shootout time and again in recent years. So uh, these teams always play close games, and Pittsburgh almost always finds a way to win them. So this time the shoe was on the other foot, and good. We'll take the two points. This wasn't a close <laughs> game, actually, but uh, yeah. Well, the scores have been close. Yeah, all of them been one goal. The last game between them was three-one with an empty netter, and all the others were one-goal games, and many of them going into overtime. Going back four years. Oh. So my good thing is Mike Smith. Um, there's not a lot to say other than he looked, he looked like as as sharp as a you know as sharp as you can sharpen that goalie knife. Um, he was that sharp. He like even on the outside shots where goalies sometimes look a little bit befuddled or lucky. He just was on them all, just snapping them up with his glove hand. Um, Hardly a mistake. There was one bad rebound that that almost got by him late in the game, like where he let out a rebound and the guy almost tapped it in. But other than that, he was just so exceptionally on top of things in net. And right right to overtime, like where the the orders had been Nugent Hopkins in about that they've been up and down the ice with him and Neil a few times, and Pittsburgh finally got it. it looked like they might have like a three on zero, and they kind of cleared it down the ice. And who you know, you just knew though, Mike Smith was going to race yeah. out and get that puck. And it was going to amount to nothing. He he was he was exceptional, Bruce. And he he and Koskinen have outplayed the opposition goalie more often than not. Probably about two thirds of the time. Is that a fair? fair, fair yeah, they certainly they've certainly uh, held their up their end of the bargain and then some. So here's my question for you: Was he outstanding in this game, or was he transcendent? Because <laughs> you got to mark it. I sure do. Well, I think it's about a, the it's one. A, it's a goal. nine or a ten. I'm giving. I'm thinking of the one that got by him. I'm thinking of the the giveaway behind his own net in overtime. What a horrible way to lose that would have been. Darnell Nurse came sliding through and saved his bacon. <laughs> that was, Oh man, can you imagine losing on that play? Anyway, it could have happened, and uh, uh, Nurse saved the day. And uh, then uh, uh, otherwise, I mean, 51 saves on 52 shots is pretty hard to criticize that performance. I mean, it's not it's, quite a scrivens, but it's close. It was, and I could see why you're thinking of a 10, but it's probably I'm, a 9. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm leaning to 9. I, I'm, I'm really cheap with 10s. But that was a goaltender win. Uh, and a, uh, um, If you had shut them out, it would have been a 10. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Because that was a good shot that beat him, but mm-hmm. not... Um, yeah. Not a like, like he might have made, he might have saved it right so you can't give him a tan right because because uh, he might have saved that one uh, is what I would say. All right, let's uh, let's move on to the bad thing. What's your bad thing? Uh, in general, Oilers five by five play, and I'm going to leave part of this to you, and come back to part of it in my number. Uh, but they they had trouble completing passes. They were really, really struggling to, to maintain possession of the puck through the neutral zone. There was just too many sloppy 
coughing ups of the puck where it looked like they might have a little bit of promising position and then a simple pass would be in someone's skates or behind them or 10 feet in front of them or the guy would fumble the pass, you know, same difference. And they really didn't have a whole lot of flow. And honestly, their their low-end players had more of that kind of stuff going on than, than the top two lines did for uh, most of the five-on-five part of the game. Yeah, Bruce, you could almost go like, in terms of which lines played the best, probably the fourth line was the best, then the third line was the next best. Chase on, I thought, I had a pretty good game. He, he came on, he had a really physical shift right at the end of the game. Then the second line was the next best, then the first line. It was almost like reverse order in terms of who um, did the best work at even strength. I thought Haas, Gaetan Haas, made a number of strong plays defensively. It's funny, like, he's still figuring it out, but mm-hmm. I think he's a really sound defensive hockey player. When I'm watching him out there, I'm looking at someone who knows how to stay in the passing lanes and stay on the right side of the player in the defensive zone. He's fundamentally sound defensively. And um, that's what I'm noticing on shift after shift. I feel okay with him out there, even though he's still a little bit iffy when he gets the puck on a stick, knowing exactly what to do all the time. But um, I, I, I like the way he played. So my bad thing is the first line, and in particular, McDavid. Uh, Connor McDavid made five major mistakes, five major mistakes on grade A scoring chances against, which it takes a lot of doing for a forward. And, um, you know, in the first, it started in the, you know, the first shift where he gets caught behind the net on a pass out front and um, Pittsburgh gets an early chance, uh, you know, from that um, low to high, high slot, ram it, ram it at the net. Um, and then it, you know, kind of culminated on the power play where he first he turned, first he turned over the puck and then he kind of watched for a second. And in that second that he watched the player that he was covering streaked up the ice, took off and up scored. the ice and, and then scored. So, it was a. Re- I don't know what was with McDavid that game, but he just he wasn't. Again, they weren't sharp offensively passing the puck. But he's got to work. Like he's just got to work feverishly on defense, like every other player in the NHL, frankly. And there's no, there's no. If you want to be on a winning team, um, a team that wins consistently, the best players have got to do that. And and he did not do that that game. Yeah. Well, for. You compare him to Sidney Crosby, which you've got to do in a game like this. Yeah. And and Sid is such a sound 200-foot player, takes care of details, pays attention to what's going on in all areas of the ice. And now, granted, he's got 10 more years under his belt than does Connor, and you, you expect a more complete player uh, at that, you know, uber-high level. Um, but... It, it remains a weakness in McDavid's game, the defensive side of the puck, and this is year five. I mean, at some point, Ken Holland's going to have to have the Stevie Y conversation with him. Uh, that You know, remember the famous uh, Detroit, where they finally won the cup in Eisenman's 13th year, and he became famous for being a, a, a selfless two-way player. His stats went down a little bit, uh, but the team started winning more. And it's not an exact parallel. I mean, McDavid's at another level again from Stevie Eisenman, who was a phenomenal player. Uh, but McDavid is, you know, all world in terms of the talent level and so on. But there are times that uh, uh, he just needs to, you know, just read the play better when the other guys have got the puck. Like there was one right away early in the game where he wandered around below the goal line, covering no one. And left a guy open for this in the slot for a real good look. It's like 15 seconds into the first period. Yeah, we were, we were talking the same 
play there. Yeah. Oh, okay. And, you know, it, it was funny when Tippett was asked about Dreisaitl being an excellent defensive player in the press conference. Did you mm-hmm. notice Tippett's answer? He said, oh, yeah. He says when he went, I think he says, yeah, when he's concentrating. Yeah. And that's like exactly and that's true exactly, of Dreisaitl also. That's exactly. Now, now Leon really is, I think, um, like he's a gifted defensive player because he, he does read the play so well and he's so big. And both he and McDavid get by defensively. All the, generally speaking, all the time, because when they get the puck, they can advance the puck out of the Oilers' zone. Right. So that's a huge part of defending that the Oilers have always been really terrible at, but they're really exceptional at just because of their talent level. But without the puck, that's where McDavid needs work, as does Dreisaitl. And it's and it, and it, with both of them, it's just a matter of concentration and focus on defensive fundamentals and and someone working with them on it. I don't know, like <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's. But and well, I, you I would fact, think Dave Tippett. Remembering the kind of player he was in his career, which was a very sound defense-first kind of player, he, uh, you know, that would be the the right guy who used to play center. You know, like he he's got the background uh, to be the right guy, and maybe it's just going to take some time. But uh, there is work to be done. I I just don't see how you can deny it. Indeed, indeed, which partly explains their uh, their you know their negative. Uh, their on-ice goals against at even strength last year in the second half, Abrams, where they were yeah, a couple of the weeks they, they got spunked. All right, let's move on to our numbers. Okay, well, my my number is an extension of what we were, what you were just talking about, and this is a five-on-five play, shots on goal, um, with um, uh, Connor McDavid on the ice. Pittsburgh had 18 five-on-five shots. Edmonton had one, 18 to one, and Leon Draisaitl barely any better at 17 to one. I mean, we're, if you look at even a shot attempts, three, four, 28 against. Like they weren't generating anything and they weren't defending. I mean, it was a, it was a tough combination. And it's a miracle the order survived that at basically zero-zero at five-on-five. Five. That could have been uh, a five-nothing game, right? Like. It could have easy. Yeah, could have three or four or five one. Anyway, we'll give Edmonton credit for the one, but uh, even that was against the flow of play. Yeah. So my uh, my number is four to nothing, and so that's grade A scoring chances um, by kind of the bottom, what are known as the bottom six players, as opposed to the top line guys. Mm-hmm. So the, at even strength, Neil um, Drysaddle and McDavid have been getting all you know a huge proportion. Um, well, well over 50% of the grade A scoring chances for forward uh, scoring chance shots. This game, it was four to nothing. So Dreisaitl and McDavid and Neil didn't get one um, at five on five play this game, not one oh. between them. But uh, Russell got one, Kara got one, Cave got the goal and, and Haas got one. So good for them. That's, this is, now if we could just put the, the two really good things you know, if, yeah. if these bottom lines come on and, and oh, actually, you need, you need uh, that's a confidence booster for, I would say, for most of the team. That, yeah. Hey, look at that. We just beat Pittsburgh Penguins without our big guns really rolling. Yeah. And, and we did it because our bottom guys came through. You know, I thought Marcus Grandland had a tremendous game today. Best and, game. But yeah. Yeah. And and Cave and and uh, and so on. Like the fourth line with the score one to one in the last minute of the third period. Guess who was on the ice? Yes, that tell you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and uh, I'm not sure necessarily about the combinations of players, mm-hmm. but they, they do seem to be working okay. Um, and um, 
in terms of like the nine forwards that are picking right now, this is the most I've liked that bottom group of nine forwards, like the nine guys that they've now picked. I think they have the right nine guys, um, give or take Grandland. But if he plays like that, he's one of them. Um, now we were missing, interestingly, Sheehan, we were missing. Yeah. Uh, but Cave played better. Cave played a better game than Sheehan's played this year, is the truth. And um, yeah. so uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what's going to happen there. You know, Cave, he's earned another, another game, obviously. So there'll be no rushing back. Which is probably a good thing with Sheehan, because he's on a concussion protocol anyway. Probably, and, and it's not like he's been of that group of players. I'm not singling out Sheehan as being a bad player. Um, I would, I would have played him, for instance, ahead of Grandland um, in tonight's lineup. Uh, but um, he's got to step up too. And one thing about, well, it's not like Caves fast, although he looked fast on that goal. But Sheehan's a slow player, and. And what the Oilers need, I think, overall is just a little bit more speed. So, so yeah, that was a big win, Bruce. What are we, 10 and 5? 10 wins, 5 losses. 10, four, 4 and 1. 10, 4 21, and 1. 21 points through 15 games. Uh, compared to the 2016-17 team, now they're, they're ahead of that team, uh, which was uh, a 9, 5 and 1 uh, through, uh, through 15 games. And would go on to lose three more in a row before riding the ship. So they're actually going to be ahead of that pace for a little while. But it's nice. I mean, to come out of this road trip with two wins in three games after the stinker in Detroit that started it out. Like, after that Detroit loss, you think, oh, boy, this road trip, you know, maybe we'll get a point in one of these two games. And maybe we won't, you know. <laughs> kind of where I was at after the Detroit game, which does not leave me in a good frame of mind, obviously. Um, but they bounced back hard in Columbus, earned those two points convincingly. Today, you know, they hung around and uh, long enough for uh, the big boy. And, you know, I, I, for all the, the criticism we've given the big boys today, four on four in the third period, they were terrific. And three on three in overtime, they won the game, you know. So so we're, we'll have to play <laughs> Cassian then, I guess. Hey, yeah, the there other, you go. The other team gets a one. <laughs> The other, uh, the other really good thing, Bruce, is e- Ethan Bear got uh, taken out with possibly. Oh, you know, I don't know yeah. if it was a dirty play. It was, yeah, it, yeah, it was kind of like, yeah, is it a slew foot? It's he did stick his foot in there, but it's kind of like they're, you know, it's an effort play it was too. A like puck battle, and he tried to get a piece of him, but he did it by reaching out with his foot and clipping them on the back of the skate. Yeah. And that's a dangerous play. I called it dangerous and I said some would call it dirty. And I and, and I got some some feedback, people saying it was a dirty slew foot and other people saying it, it wasn't it wasn't dirty and uh, others have even said it wasn't dangerous. Well to me that's a dangerous play when you're when you're catching a guy with an extended leg coming in from behind, like deliberate or not, it's dangerous. Uh, I'm not in Brian Brian Russ's head. I'm I'm not going to say it was dirty, but uh, I didn't like it. He's just trying to to make the play with with whatever part of the body that he can, Mm -hmm. and it was marginal. He might have just been trying to pin him, right, rather than trip him. That's why I would say dangerous, not dirty. Anyway, the good thing was that Bear wasn't hurt, thank goodness, because if Bear had been hurt. When he didn't finish the first period, I was just head in my hands. Just, oh, oh, you hear that? You hear this thumping in the background. I think my daughter is practicing her shot downstairs, Bruce. So, oh, you might. Not if you see it. me looking away from the cameras, because I have a white-breasted nuthatch delivering my 
visiting my bird feeder out there, which is a rare, rare visitor. So, <laughs> uh, if you hear any squeaking, it's because we have a little mouse in our kitchen that our cats have yet to catch. They uh -huh. caught four mice yesterday. Oh man, good luck yeah. with that. Go oh, with well, our with cats. This is the time of year when the mice come in, and within a week, our cats eliminate them all. Oh, so. okay. How many yeah. cats? Two. Oh, okay. One of them is a real mouser. Yeah. Um, so, anyway. Uh, <laughs> good win. When's the next game? Tuesday? Uh, two days' time. They play Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. They're on another roll of even-numbered dates here from today right through the uh, 16th, I think. It's every other day. So right. it's a, it's another roll of, of one on, one off. And so a regular rhythm. Uh, you wonder when they're ever going to practice, but uh, uh, certainly a regular a regular rhythm and no back-to-back. -back, so, you know. It's amazing how many games they've played. It seems like a lot. Like Yeah, for only one back-to-back. -back, and I think they've played the most in the Pacific Division now, for sure. And if not the league, 15 games. Like, like when we talked about... Um, uh, mm -hmm. Their remarkable performance in October. Part of the reason was they played 14 games in October, which is, which is a yeah. heavy, heavy load off out of the gate. All right. Well, thanks for talking today, Bruce. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>